0: Well, we're about to celebrate a birthday, right? <clears throat> birthday of the nation. And uh, as we look out and see things in the culture, uh, it saddens most people that know the background and the history and the founding and how God has blessed us. And one thing to keep in mind, uh, we're looking at the Olivet Discourse, which deals with Jesus' outline of eschatology or outline of end times, in other words, how things are going to ultimately end up, and one thing that is, I guess, a little bit striking, from our perspective at least, is that there's no mention of the United States in Bible prophecy. Now, there are some theologians that try to manipulate passages and take them somewhat non-literally and see maybe allusions, but I don't think any of those passages pertain to the, the United States per se. And if that's the case, if, if there's no mention, then one of two things are possible. One, this country will not be in existence at the time that all these events begin to take place, which is, from our perspective, not conceivable, but if you think about it, it's things can change very rapidly. Babylon was the world power, and then all of a sudden they were destroyed as a kingdom in the Old Testament. That's been the case with many empires. The second possibility is that we, and probably the likely one, is that we are declining so rapidly that we're going to have internal collapse. We've already collapsed, I think, spiritually and morally in large measure. I think those that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are a small minority, and we might even say a small remnant of God's people, and if that's the case, then we will lose influence on the world stage, and I see that as probably the more likely scenario in terms of future of our country, which is sad, but we need to keep in mind that God has a plan, and he's going to work that plan out such that he's going to accomplish those goals, and no nation is going to stand in the way, and no nation is necessarily going to thwart what God has planned, and We need to just realize that we're actually ultimately on the winning side and Lord will, in fact, bring us to the kingdom. And the kingdom is the thing that we look forward to, not anything earthly. We're only strangers and aliens, is what the New Testament tells us. And even though we are citizens of this country, our ultimate citizenship is with the Lord in heaven. So we're going to look at the Olivet Discourse. And just to remind you of some of the background and setting, just some more photographs that we've looked at before. The disciples are with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking across at that wall and the structures behind it in the first century. The lower stones date back to the time when uh, Jesus and the disciples were looking across the Kidron Valley there in the foreground. And that's Temple Mount. East Gate, on Temple Mount. The structures that were there in the first century obviously were destroyed in 70 AD, never reconstructed. We have the Muslim mosque that will be removed, and if anyone tried to do it today, it would start probably a major war, but somehow that structure will be removed, and during that tribulation, if you remember, we mentioned that There will be a Jewish temple, a tribulation temple. There's Old Testament as well as New Testament passages that indicate that, particularly in the book of Revelation and even the passage that we're looking at in the Olivet Discourse. So that's Temple Mount. That's what it looks like today. And that's the place that the disciples were asking about when will these be destroyed and Jesus is speaking of not only 70 A.D., but a time frame far in the future. And the East Gate again, this is what they would be looking at. This is what it looks like today, and this is the wall at the south eastern corner that's considered the pinnacle of the temple by many archaeologists, Jesus also being tempted there And these lower stones are Herodian. In other words, they date back to the period of Herod the Great, were built by him, the lower portions of that wall, and the upper portion were reconstructed portions of the wall. And that's just another shot of the same corner. So we looked at the setting of the Olivet Discourse, spent a lot of time there. In fact, we looked at many of the passages from chapter 21 all the way to chapter 24, verse 3. Spent some time looking at 24, 4 through 28. And that's one of the major focuses of the Olivet Discourse. Most of the passages pertain to that period of time. And I mentioned when you think of eschatology, you need to think Jewish. Eschatology is Jewish. It has a time frame, very specific. And it has major events. And we've looked at these over and over from many, many perspectives, from many, many different passages. The tribulation pertains to Israel. God predicts it all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy before even the children of Israel are even a nation. He predicts that period of time in Deuteronomy 28 and... Uh, You could even look at it in chapter 30 as well. So this is a Jewish period of time. This is the reason we don't believe that the church goes through it. When you think of church eschatology, it has to fit into Jewish eschatology. Because Jewish eschatology has the time frame, has the chronology. So everything is related to Jewish eschatology. So we spent time looking at tribulation, And the central focus is the second coming, or the coming of Messiah. In the Old Testament, it's the coming of Messiah, and in many passages, like Isaiah 9, you have the coming of Messiah combined. It's not evident that there's two comings until you get to the New Testament. So when we speak of the New Testament, we're talking about a second coming, and that's described in 24, 29-31. We're in the Applicational section, Applications for the Olivet Discourse, the latter verses of chapter 24, from verse 32 to the end, which is verse 51. So, the Doctrinal section, you might say, begins in verse 4, and now the Applicational portion begins in verse 32. And there are six illustrations, we've looked at some of them, Parable of the Fig Tree, that's 32-36 of Matthew's Gospel, There's an illustration of Noah's day, we looked at that last week, chapter 24, 37 through 39, we also looked at the illustration of labors in the field, one is taken, one is left, that's confused with the rapture, but the rapture is nowhere in the Olivet Discourse and it would be out of context to have it at this point. For several reasons. One, this is the applicational portion. He's not talking about the chronology anymore or the issues related to the events. He's dealing with applications. So we have verses 40 and 42, and the take, those that are taken away are taken away in judgment is the interpretation that I think is the proper one. Those that are left are those that are left in order to enter the kingdom when Christ returns. And we'll pick up in Mark's Gospel. In fact, uh, turn to Mark's Gospel because that's where we'll begin our look at another parable or another uh, illustration in parabolic form. And that's Mark 13. And Mark 13 is Mark's account of the Olivet Discourse. It's the same message from uh, Mark's perspective, Mark's memory, or at least what maybe Peter conveyed to Mark. So, 33 through 37, let's start with that one, and then we'll, when we complete that, we'll go back to chapter 24, 43 through 44, parable of the homeowner. And that's about as far as we'll get today. But there's a sixth one that we'll look at later, the parable of the servants. So, we have a series of illustrations. That are applicational. They're illustrations of the coming, in order to stress different aspects of preparedness, different aspects of being ready for the second coming. And the last one, verses forty-five through fifty-one. So this is where we're going to pick up, and just from last time, uh, the last verse there that we looked at, just to remind you and to get us into the next passage in. Mark's Gospel. Verse 42, and the reason I give this to you is to show you the tie-in, to show you that where Matthew gives us verse 42, this is the parallel with Mark's Gospel, and then the passage that follows in Mark's Gospel is that parable of the traveler. So that's why I put it in this sequence. Does that make sense? So, verse 42, therefore, be on the alert. That's kind of the main theme of this whole section. Not only alertness, but preparedness, readiness, this idea of being ready for this occasion when Jesus returns. The primary application is that the generation that's going to be alive at that time but like all of Scripture, because Scripture is inspired, there's a secondary application that we can draw as well. And we've been doing that as we've been looking at these passages. So therefore, be on the alert, and the reason for it, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. That's the theme of this entire applicational section. The coming of the Lord is not spelled out specifically in, in terms of the people that will be aware in that time. Now, there is a chronology that if people were aware of Daniel chapter 9, they could pinpoint it. But keep in mind, people during the Great Tribulation, they do not have a theological background. Everyone that is in the Tribulation is a brand new baby Christian. They don't have a developed eschatology. There may be a few that have some background, but they are going to be by far in the minority. Most people are just trying to grope their way through this period of time with a few passages. And to them, they're going to be unaware of the chronology. And the coming is going to be a surprising thing. So, in a sense, even the second coming is an eminent event. Now, we've been talking about the rapture as being eminent. In other words, there's nothing that precedes it that gives you a clue as to the specific time of the rapture. So also the second coming, even though there will be some signs, but the precise time is not known. So you do not know which day your Lord is coming, and that precedes the previous passages (coughs) that speak of even Jesus himself in his humanity says that he did not know. But I want you to notice the similarity bit with 2442, and if you turn to Mark's gospel in verse 13, well, before that, the essence of that last parable that we looked at, the second coming will bring unexpected and swift judgment, so be alert. So verse 42 is kind of the conclusion, but it's also transitional into what comes in the following, and particularly in Mark's gospel, it transitions to the next parable. So, the parable of the traveler, Mark 13, verse 33. We'll pick up there. And verse 33 is the exhortation. And notice the similarity with verse 42 of Matthew's gospel. Take heed! See the similarity? In other words, be alert! Keep on the alert! For you do not know when the appointed time will come! See the similarity? And I think the passages are parallel, and you see similar parallel passages. In fact, sometimes almost identical in Matthew and Mark's Gospel. So I see that parallel, and this in Mark's Gospel precedes that next parable. Does that make sense? And that's why I have it in that, that sequence. Now I've highlighted Take Heed because Mark emphasizes this alert idea. And we're going to have five different words relating to alertness in Mark's Gospel, and also some of them are in Matthew's Gospel. In fact, we have two different words than what we had in verse 42. The first one, take heed, is a very common New Testament word, and it just has the idea of seeing things. In fact, in most contexts, It just has the idea, in fact, uh, our Greek fellow here would probably give you blepo. Blepo is just to look at something, or to see something, or to make an observation. Blepo is the Greek word. I'll show you these Greek words in a moment. And that's the everyday usage of that word. But in some contexts, and very frequently in the New Testament, it has kind of an added sense in that not only just to look at something, in other words, not just a glance, but to look with some alertness or with some perception, with some insight. And in some cases, it's even translated, beware if you have to be careful at what you're looking at. In other words, be careful at what you're seeing here because there are some dangers associated with with that observation. And let me just give you some examples of that. For example... In Mark twelve twenty eight or thirty eight rather it says beware and it translates blackball as beware. Take heed, beware. In other words, be alerted to something, and it says beware, and what he's talking about is the externalism of the scribes and the Pharisees in that context. In other words, there's some dangers associated with it. In Acts thirteen forty it says same translation, take heed. In other words, be careful here and take heed of the unresponsiveness to the gospel. And it's a warning to one of the groups of Jews in a particular city. 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, Be careful. It's translated, be careful. Same word, in some context, just the general word to look at something, but in this case, looking at it in terms of being aware of the danger. It says, Take care that your liberty not be a stumbling block before other people. And there's several other contexts similar to that. So that's the word take heed. And then there's a different word, keep on the alert. It has more the sense of stay awake, has the idea of being asleep. Using the contrast, when you are asleep, what happens? You're totally unconscious, right? You're totally unaware of your surroundings. That is, if you sleep well and you have a Deep, deep enough sleep. People could enter the room. You're totally unaware of anyone present because you're sound asleep. People turn on the lights. People make all kinds of noise. You're totally out of it. That's the word here. In other words, keep on the alert. In other words, stay awake is the idea here. The contrast with being aware of what's going on around you as opposed to being asleep. So it has the idea of staying awake. And the words here, we have, there's the black ball, being observant. Not just seeing, but more to the extent that you are observing what's going on, and particularly, like this context, being observant of the dangers. And by the way, this word is the word that Jesus uses at the very beginning of the Olivet Discourse. In Matthew's Gospel, and also in Mark's Gospel, in Matthew it's 24, 4, He uses that same word, "blepo," beware. We talked about that at that context. But that was many years ago, and you guys don't even remember that, right? (laughs) Blepo, being observant. And in Mark's gospel, it's 1333. And then the word, the second word in verse 33, Agupnu ne'o, sleepless, or the alternative, be alert, be awake, be sleepless. So that's verse 33. And the reason, again, very similar to Matthew twenty-four forty-two, 42, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. The second coming is going to be surprising. Second coming, and the world is going to be totally unaware. The world is going to be caught totally off guard. The believer should be able to come to some conclusions, we're getting close, we're getting close, but still you don't know the precise time. And even Jesus said he himself did not know. So that's the exhortation of verse 33. And then now we have the exposition of the parable of the traveler. So let's look at it in verses 34 through 36. So verse 33, verse 34, or 1334, is like. So here's a comparison. Another parable in this context, or at least an illustration And it is what? The events pertaining to the second coming and the second coming itself. And particularly the second coming, the prior verse, what was it pertaining to? The time of the second coming. It is like a man on a journey. So use your imagination. And to help you kind of put the context of the passage in, I found this photograph. It's like a man that owns a plantation And in the first century, there were people that had, in fact, there were extended families that owned plots of land, and the economy was based primarily on agriculture. So in many families, you had many people, and you also had people that contributed outside of the family, they would be servants. And they would be part of this extended family in what you might consider in more modern times, a plantation, because a lot of the work was done out in the fields. In fact, that prior passage that we looked at had that same setting, one left in the field, kind of the same situation. One at the millstone, well, you had women that would be working inside, so the same context. So the owner is on a journey. And in that context, the owner would uh, go out and perhaps purchase supplies, or maybe he's going to extend the property, make deals, or whatever the case may be, he's on a journey, and he doesn't know how long it's going to take. That's the context of this passage. In other words, that's the illustration. Now, we don't have all those little details, but from the details that we do have, we can come to that conclusion. So what does he do? who upon leaving his home, and this would be typical, in other words, this would happen very often, leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge. In other words, this is your task. This is your responsibility. You are responsible for maintaining the inside of the house. Servants that are domestic, that are part of the inside. Those of you that are in charge of the animals, this is what your responsibilities are. You have to feed them every day. You have to care for them. You have to do all the things that are required. With the animals. Those of you that are doing the agriculture, you have your responsibilities. So there was a variety of people that contributed to this work that went on in this plantation. So he's putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task. In other words, this is what I expect to get done while I am gone. Here are the tasks. Kind of like George. George owns a little, what do you call it, a construction company, (laughs) almost... He has people that work for him, and sometimes he goes from job to job and does different things, and he leaves people with a certain responsibility to carry out while he's gone. In other words, he gives them tasks. Well, this is a longer journey that this man's giving or taking and assigning different tasks to each one of his tasks. So the owner is assigning tasks to be done while he is gone. Very typical in the first century. Nothing unusual here. That's the illustration that is being presented here. And he also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on, here's another word, alert. This is a third word, a different one than the other two that we looked at. In fact, this is the more common one that has the idea of alertness. And this is the one that is in Matthew's account in uh, verse 42, the passage that we were looking at. So he commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. So already three words relating to paying attention, taking heed, beware, staying awake, being alert. That's the theme of this whole passage here. So we have the third one, Gregorio. Does anybody have a name by the name of Greg? Your name means stay awake, be alert. That's the meaning. Gregorio alertness. It occurs in verses 34, it occurs in verse 35, and it's going to occur in the last verse of this parable, verse 37. So I've got it. asterisk. How do you you pluralize asterisk? (laughs) It's hard to say. Anyway, that's the main verb. That's the central verb. But you have other verbs that are related to the same idea. So this idea of alertness. And it occurs very often in prophetic passages. And like I said in Matthew's account of the Olivet Discourse... It occurs in the book of Revelation. It occurs in other contexts relating to eschatology, the idea of alertness. So this is one of the main applications that we're to draw from that. So we'll talk some more about that at the end here. So, therefore, and then we have the same word repeated. In other words, here's where it occurs in verse 30, 35. Therefore be on the alert. Gregorio. Greek word. Therefore be on the alert. Pay attention, be aware of what's going on in the illustration, be on the alert, because you don't know when the owner is going to return. So, you want to live, in other words, you want to carry on your tasks, just as if the owner never left. Now, what's human nature? Human nature, and I know you're not speaking for yourself, but... (laughs) but, The tendency to slack off, the tendency to be lazy, the tendency, oh, I've got plenty of time to get this done. The tendency to put off all of those uh, human tendencies rather than living the same as if the owner were there. That's alertness. Okay? Therefore, be alert. In other words, you don't know when the owner is going to come back. He may have forgotten something and decides, oh, okay, I need that before I can do the transaction. Uh, He may come very quickly, or it may be delayed. You don't know. Therefore, be on the alert. For, and again, the reiteration of the same idea, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. See the analogy here? The master is the analogy that he's presenting, the illustration. The master is like the ultimate master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is coming. So the parable is a picture of the coming of the Lord. Like the master that is on a journey, you don't know when the master is coming back, so also you don't know when the second coming is going to occur. You do not know when the master of the house is coming. And, well, you can read on whether in the evening, and what we have here is the Roman reckoning of time. In the New Testament, you have to kind of keep track of whether the writer of whatever passage is dealing with time, whether he's dealing with a Roman reckoning of time, or a Jewish reckoning of time. And they were different. Now, who is Mark writing to? You. No, that's Matthew. Matthew's Gospel is addressed to a Jewish audience. So in Matthew's passages, most of the time, he will deal with Jewish reckoning. But Mark was written to a totally different audience. And that audience was Gentiles, Roman, the Roman mindset. The Gospel of Mark is written to a Roman mindset. So in Mark's Gospel, Mark records a Roman way of reckoning. So whether in the evening, that'd be from 6 to about 9 o'clock. At midnight, that would be from uh, 9 to 12. Or when the rooster crows, that would be between 12 and 3 in that culture. Or in the morning, that would be the dawn, or from about 3 to 6. That's the reckoning. So the point here, not so much technically what he's referring to, he's including, in other words, the whole time frame in terms of the night. You have no idea when, it, when he's coming. That's the idea. Just kind of stressing it by bringing it in terms of Roman time. So, verse 35 there. Now, verse 36. In case he should come suddenly and find you in your human nature sleeping. Suddenly and find you asleep. Now, here we have kind of the alternative, find you asleep. In other words, the very opposite of the idea of awakeness or the idea of alertness. And you have the word there, asleep in verse 36 another word related to, in this case, the opposite of alertness. See the theme here? See the repetition of the idea throughout this portion in Mark's gospel? So we have black hole, verse 33, agupneo, verse 33, Gregorio, 34, 35, 37. Every one of the verses has one of these words. And in verse 36, uh, we have the fourth one. And then we have this extended to verse 37. You have the exhortation, 33, the exposition of the parable, 34 to 36. And now we have the extension of it in verse 37. What I say to you, Jesus is going to extend to everyone. And he's speaking to the Grace Group in 2016. 20, 20, uh, verse 37, what I say to you, I say to all. And by inspiration, he's speaking to us today. And again, be on the alert. That's Gregorio again. Get it? So, See the stress? In every one of the verses in Mark's account, he has the idea of alertness, being on the alert, being awake, paying attention, being observant. So that's the main theme here, and obviously the main application. So the essence of this parable, the eminence... Of the second coming should create in us alert faithfulness. The whole idea of the parable is people need to carry on the tasks that they've been assigned. They have to be faithful, not be lazy, not be uh, putting off what the task is required, but being alert in the sense that it motivates faithfulness. So I've combined the two. So it should create in us an alert faithfulness. In other words, you don't just ponder eschatology. That's not the whole point of eschatology. The point of eschatology is to give us the perspective so we can know what to look for in our alertness. But in being alert, I need to be continually faithful to the task at hand. What has God assigned to me to accomplish, regardless of the time frame? Regardless of when the master returns, I have a responsibility. And that's true of every believer. We all have differing gifts, differing responsibilities, differing situations, but all of us are called to be faithful. Make sense? And that's the essence of that parable. So the correspondence here, we saw the fig tree corresponds with the last generation the issues of Noah's day, the conditions relating to priorities, not so much evilness, but priorities, what is most important. We talked about that. The labor, the emphasis of that and the correspondence is sudden judgment. The parable of the traveler, faithful to your commitments, faithful to the things that the Lord has assigned to you. You have an assigned task as part and member of the body of Christ. And he wants us to be faithful to those tasks. That is the main application. And the alertness is being alerted concerning the circumstances around us and not be distracted by what's going on and continuing in the carrying out of the task. So, even in the second coming, the doctrine of eminence is applicable. And I think these several verses, not only Mark's account, but the verses we looked at last week, and the verses we are going to look at in the next few parables, I think give us a sense that the second coming is also an imminent event. We don't know the precise time. Now we have more clues, and we can be more definitive in terms of the generation that's alive then, but in terms of the specific, it's still an imminent idea. Does that make sense? That's the doctrine of imminence. So, he could come, the idea is that he could come at any time. Now, the way that we can apply it, if the church is not going through that tribulation period, we can apply the same principle in terms of the doctrine of the rapture. And that is even more obscure. But we are called to be as faithful as well in our age, as those that will be living during that tribulation period are to the tasks that the Lord has given them in that time frame. So it has the idea of any time, and let's look up some passages to kind of emphasize eminence. Some of these passages could refer to the rapture, some of them could refer to the second coming, and I've got a list of them and let's uh can you read? Is it, it's not too dark, is it? First of all, Paul, who wants to look up Romans thirteen eleven. Okay, I've got you up front here, Jim. Why don't you get the next one? Revelation one three. Uh, Peter in First Peter, Jenny. First Peter four seven. Book of Hebrews ten twenty five. Okay, uh, now James. And what I'm emphasizing here. Go ahead, Bob. Uh, James five seven through nine. I'm emphasizing here, notice this is a continuous theme, the idea of eminence. And that's what all of these passages, in one way or another, gives us that sense. So this is not an isolated, kind of uh, made-up doctrine. It's one that is encouraged throughout by many of the writers, if not all of the writers of the New Testament. And then we have Jesus himself in Revelation twenty-two twelve, who wants to get that one. Jim, since you're in Revelation, why don't you start at chapter 1 and then skip to the, the end there. Romans 17, 11. You got it? And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than what, when we first believed. Okay, it's not clear in terms of the second coming, but what little phrase clues you in to this end-of-time circumstance? here? Your salvation is near. In other words, the salvation that we have experienced, justification by faith and faith alone, there's a past ten cents, but Paul gives us here a future ten cents. And each day we're closer to it. And that future ten cents will be accomplished at the rapture when we will be totally removed from these sinful bodies and given a new body. That's that salvation sense. It's nearer. And we don't know when that'll be. It's nebulous. Paul leaves it nebulous. So he's kind of hinting at, at least, this idea of eminence. Revelation 1 3, John writes the book of Revelation. Blessed is he who he reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and the things which are written in it, but the time is near. The time is near. The time was near in the first century when this was written. The time is near from God's perspective. That's the attitude of eminence. He could come at any time. That's John. A little commentary in the book of Revelation. Peter, another writer, another speaker, First Peter 4, 7. You got it, Jenny? end of all things is near. And he's writing in the first century, the end of all things is near. Go ahead. Self-judgment. Okay, the contrast there, when you're intoxicated, you're less aware of your surroundings. In other words, be sober. In other words, stay alert, the idea. And the idea is you don't know when it's going to happen. It's near, even in the first century. Hebrews 10.25. There's the faithfulness part. In other words, our responsibility is to stimulate one another... To good deeds, love, and good deeds. Not forsaking our okay. encouraging, one all the more as you see the day. The day, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of the Lord. That would include, from our perspective, the rapture and also the ultimate second coming. Very good. So all these passages pertain in some way to that future event. And James 5, 7-9, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. There it is. Overtly, be patient, but what? Keep reading. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. Be patient about it until it gets the early and late rain. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, it's what so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right, right at the door, second coming. When he comes, he's coming in judgment. He came the first time for salvation. When he comes a second time, he's coming with judgment. And he's right at the door. It's close, the idea of eminence. See that? Not chronologically. Obviously, from when this was written, James wrote in the first century as well. It's not referring to closeness in terms of chronology. 2,000 years. But close in the sense of imminence. Get that? That's the doctrine of imminence. And then Jesus himself, this is the last chapter, and what's his encouraging words there in verse 12, 22, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. Surrender to every man according to what Okay, Jesus himself, I'm coming quickly. Not. In terms of chronology, not in terms of time, but in terms of eminency, in terms of unexpectedness, in terms of the surprising aspect of it, makes sense, Jim. Well, it's good to go back and read of in connection with law is a direct Yes, in every one of them, uh, that faithfulness aspect. Very good. I'm glad you brought that out. I think we all have problems with letting worldly things get to important sometimes. Yes. Yeah, we stressed that last time concerning priorities. And sometimes it does be good when God reminds me the advice I like to give other people. Now let's just suppose that we know that Jesus is coming, Just Now, how important uh, is your golf game? How important is that new car that I uh, ordered and it should be coming next week? You know, the next month we're going to go on a uh, vacation of a lifetime. You know, some of these things, you know, are so important. Uh, just how we knew that Jesus is coming two weeks from now. Yeah, those will pale in importance in comparison to what we would expect. Well, these are just a sampling, and I tried to get the sampling from different writers to give you the perspective. The Doctrine of imminence is a New Testament <coughs> doctrine. It's not just an isolated one that you find it in a few passages. So it has the idea of the coming of the Lord could be at any time, and we need to have that attitude, not setting dates, because we don't have the specific, but at any time, and the unexpected aspect of it. If you're not alert, then you're going to be caught off guard. If you're not waiting, you're going to... In fact, be surprised, so it's unexpected. And there's a lot of exhortations that go along with that. In fact, some of those exhortations, let me see if we want to read some of those. For example, Psalm 37.3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. Goes along with the parable there. Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will, you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. In other words, the encouragement along the area of faithfulness. So that first parable encourages us to have a sense of urgency in terms of the second coming. The example of Noah's day, we need to have our priorities in order. In other words, devoting time to those things, the assigned tasks, basically. And I gave you the four major priorities of of Scripture. Number one, our relationship to God should always be maintained. Relationship within the family should be maintained and the role that God has given you, husband or wife or son and daughter. Thirdly, our relationship to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, exercising your spiritual gifts. And fourthly, our responsibility to the world or the unbelieving world, maintaining relationships and presenting the gospel when God presents it. Keeping those are the priorities to maintain. Be alert concerning the signs of the times. Alertness. That was emphasized by that the two that are in the field. It's going to be sudden, unexpected. And then here, be faithful in all our Lord has given to you, performing the tasks that have been assigned to each one of us. So faithfulness is the main goal of believers. The main thing that we need to maintain is faithful, moment by moment, day by day, over the long haul. Not these spurts of emotional... Spiritual activity, but a steady, moment-by-moment faithfulness. It's a consistent walk, that's what it means. Being consistent in maintaining your priorities. Being consistent in that ministry and that task that God has called you to. Being consistent in your attitudes, in your motivations. And there's a blessedness to it. There's a reward that comes, and there's a lot of verses that indicate that. It's the basis for future reward in the Millennial Kingdom faithfulness. And a couple of passages that encourage it. Revelation 2.10, I read that one, and if you want another one, one, Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. The encouragement of faithfulness. And, let's close by looking briefly at the parable of the homeowner, and we'll pick up here next week. Let me just introduce it. Parable of the homeowner, there's an exposition, verse 43. Be sure of this, this is another illustration now, he's going to introduce something new here, be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, total different circumstance. He's going to use the illustration of your house being broken into, and if you know that a thief is coming, what are you going to do? Not only are you going to knock the door, but uh, you might even stay up. Uh, You're going to have alarms. You might even call the cops ahead of time. He's coming at 12.05. Be on the alert. Be ready. Bring your handcuffs. <laughs> okay, if the head of the house had known at what time that <coughs> the night the thief was coming, and by the way, there's an analogy here. We'll develop that next time. And we'll talk about it. Uh, just to get you into it, this is the circumstance. This is the situation. About to break in. He has his little what do you call it, pry bar to open the window there or to break it. <laughs> he knew the time that he was coming, he would have been on the alert. Again, the surprisingness idea here, and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. In other words, you're going to fend him off, you're going to have the alarm sounding, you're going to have the lights on, you're going to have all the things that you need to prevent the uh, breaking in. Now, my house was broken into when I was in Ukraine. There was not much I could do. (laughs) That was several years ago. So we have an application in verse 44. We'll come back and look at this. For this reason, you also must be ready. Here's another word relating to alert us. Being ready, a totally different word. We'll look at that next time. For the Son of Man, here's the analogy, the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be unexpected. We've been talking about that all along. This last parable, the signs of the second coming, should motivate preparedness. We'll develop that idea. What does it mean to be prepared? That's what we'll do next week. We emphasized faithfulness and alert faithfulness today. Another aspect is what do we do to prepare? Who wants to close for Go ahead. Thank really you everything so, you treasure which you be, be mindful. Guard this, uh, temple, house that will uh, just guard it for ourselves, out there working. You are light, ready the harvest. Uh, gather, uh, for uh, you, Nuko. Thank so, you. Amen.